Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. And welcome to Formula for Success. I'm David Colfard. And, well, not quite alongside me, ah. but certainly I'm staring at him. There you can ah. hear that. Hey, oh, my goodness, the growl is coming. It's Eddie Jordan. Oh, I've missed you, David. Where have you been, for heaven's sake? <laughs> I've been First working First of all, before you do that, ah, just to keep everybody in touch. We're all there here. There you go. There you go, son. So you're in South Africa, I believe. Yes, I'm in South Africa. i got the lovely James here looking after me. He just flew in, and uh, he got delayed, of course, um, but he couldn't believe how quickly he got through customs Etc. So he's here now and we're ready to go. Well, the reach of Eddie Jordan goes uh, far beyond customs. So I assume you had him sort of, you know, uh, magic carpeted all the way to where you are. But let's just cut to the chase for a little bit because I spoke to you in Qatar and then Sharm el Sheikh and then you went to Vegas, then you came back and then you went to do a race in Mexico and good Lord, you've been everywhere. You've been back to Vegas for the Grand Prix and then to Abu Dhabi and I see you talking in London here. This is quite amazing. You must be knackered. Uh, well, I think, as you know, when you've only ever travelled for your, your lifetime, that is, you know, that is how we operate. You know, since I was a kid, I've been travelling in long journeys from Scotland to, you know, south coast of England to race and then going all the way back again on a Sunday night and then going to school again on Monday morning. So I've never known anything different. So travel in itself uh, is actually, for me, it's quiet time. It's it's resting time. And of course, anyone who's done a long flight knows that if you don't keep your hydration up, you can feel a bit uncomfortable at the end of it. But therefore, here's a top tip, kids. Keep your hydration up. Not just in planes, but in every every walk of life and every day. Yeah, indeed. Um, David, I can't, obviously, I, I was spellbound. I, I couldn't leave the television looking at, at, at Vegas. Um and what I couldn't understand was the drivers put in a Rolls Royce, driven half a mile or a couple of miles down the road to the Bellagio to be confronted by questions by you. Incidentally, well done on that. I thought you did a great post-race interviews. They were really, really interesting because I, I thought that, you know, the, the, the feeling and the ambience was right there. But anyway, back to the original question. Um, what was it like? Vegas was uh, supercharged Formula One. And as you mentioned, I'd been out in Vegas a couple of times already this year um, with, with other events. And uh, with my event business, uh, Velocity, then we had taken over the Dre's nightclub, which is uh, opposite basically the Bellagio and, and Caesars. So uh, I, was, I also was, was keen to you know, understand how uh, that was going to be accessed and used. So uh, it was... Challenging to move around because the quickest way was to go by foot. But of course, when you've got tens of thousands of Formula One fans using the perimeter roads as well, uh, then that was was quite tricky. So imagine Silverstone 
when we stay at the BRDC campsite and A, the only way we could go over to the Formula One paddock sensibly was walking. That's what it was like there. And I was staying down at the Wynn, which was at one end of the racetrack and then the paddock was at the other end. So for anyone who's thinking about going there, who is going to be in paddock or paddock club, then I think Blasio or Caesars or a hotel down that way would be easier access. But we didn't know that until you go there for the first time. Um, but in terms of uh, it was a rocky start, as you may have seen with yeah, uh, practice sure. being cancelled. And then, you know, having a practice session at what, 2.33 in the morning, to, to fulfill Grand Prix obligations. It, it shows the flexibility of Formula One, and I admire that from an FIA and F1 management point of view, but it's also a, a little bit mental. You know, this isn't sports cars, it's not Le Mans. Uh, anything after midnight, as far as I'm concerned, should be party time, it should not be driving time. But uh, we, we got a group and delivered what I thought was visually a brilliant Grand Prix. But you, you watched the whole thing on telly, so um, what, what was your sort of, you've, you've touched on the fact you thought it looked good, but you got feedback as well. You mentioned Silverstone, you mentioned after 12. You know, normal people like me are usually tucked up in bed two hours at that stage. David, I know you night your nightlife and stuff, and I admire that in you, and long may it rain. But uh, I've run out of steam in that sector, and I keep it well packaged up so as I have enough energy for the day. Back to Vegas. I thought it was overhyped, personally. Um, I thought it was a great spectacle. Lots of um, A-listers there. I don't know whether those guys are being paid or they just wanted to come to be seen and the glitz of Formula One. Let's hope it's the latter. But anyway, who knows? Um, the point is that you mentioned Silverstone and I as a fan, and that was the first place I ever saw a Grand Prix and I'm in love with the place. Hence, when I see somebody paying out 300 quid or 250 for a grandstand seat in Silverstone for the weekend, I kind of wince because I think it's a lot of money to bring a family there but then when I see Vegas at nearly eight ten times that price and then a paddock club I mean the paddock club was twenty two and a half thousand dollars for a weekend who do you bring do you bring four or five mates and you just blow a a hundred grand I mean it's it's lunacy isn't it it's mad and you see next to nothing that's the problem I don't know where we need to be careful that Formula One is going in the right direction yeah I think There's two groups, and there always has been two groups of of race fans. There's those that, you know, really cherish and and, and save and get their ticket, go there and really enjoy the entire weekend, every session, sitting there watching the cars go by, listening to the the trackside commentary, which you have to do, in my opinion, to be able to sort of get a full picture of what's happening out on track. And then there's your... I guess it would be, I don't know if Ascot's a good example um, because I've never been there, but those who are there more for the atmosphere rather than the actual racing itself. And Paddock Club, there's a lot of guests there who probably never been to a Grand Prix before, but they're partners, they're sponsors of the Formula One team, they're discovering it. And of course, they are being looked after in, in fine style. Yeah, so what, what's always very telling for me, especially when I do the, the top three interviews, a lot of Grand Prix, and, and this was also the case in Vegas, I have to leave the commentary box several laps before, obviously, to get in position for the end of the, the Grand Prix. And people were already leaving the paddock club. You know, they're, they're not watching the end of the Grand Prix. So there's those, I guess it's a bit like a music concert or football, you know, where you know the game's pretty much settled and you might leave the football stadium a couple of minutes early so you can get ahead of the traffic. So I think there's always going to be people like that. But I, I do agree that pricing was supercharged and it made it very difficult for anything other than 
you know, Paddock Club probably to be sold out in terms of grandstands and and all of the the very you know second tier hospitality packages. And I think there'll be a readdressing of that going forward because now America has choices. They've got Miami, they've got Austin, great cities, great Grand Prix. So you know you can go to Vegas any time of the year if you're if you're living in America or even if you're living here, jump on a plane, you can do a direct flight to Vegas. There's there's a lot of cool stuff happening there. So I think it has to find its landing place but right now it was uh, it was too elevated well um it was a huge addition to the calendar and as we know we had what uh 22 grand prix this year and so why don't we talk about what we thought about the season as a whole david yeah what an incredible season we we, we can't touch on it without starting i think with red bull the amount of victories, uh, you know, EJ, you know well, having run a Formula One team, and I know from having done 240-odd Grand Prix, how difficult it is to win Grand Prix. And even, you know, you have supercharged um, phenomenons like Schumacher, and and of course now uh, uh, Max is up there, Lewis, you know, a number of guys that have won tens of Grand Prix. But most Grand Prix drivers, even World Championship Grand Prix drivers, if you win double-digit Grand Prix in your career. That's that's considered a successful career. So it's it's just phenomenal to see the level of dominance and success. But what has made it really interesting for me is it hasn't been a dominance that's shown itself throughout all qualifying sessions. You know, I've been in teams and cars where, the you know, we've been half a second or three quarters of a second quicker than third place on the grid. A lot of the time, and even in the last race in, in Abu Dhabi, Max was what, less than two tenths quicker than Charles Leclerc. So the outright pace and single lap performance is not that difference between you know, McLaren, Ferrari, Red Bull. But where Max particularly has been uh, stunning is his race pace and his management of the tyres. And that is very Schumacher-esque or Hamilton-esque. Well, David, I have to add to that and say... In the cold light of day, if I'm trying to analyze this just mentally without actually going to paper and putting different things in different places, I'd have to say that Max is a cut above what you've just mentioned. And that takes some saying, even though he's only won three world titles at this stage, when you compare what he's just have achieved and you know he's done a thousand laps in the lead of a race. But what, what the thing that strikes me more than anything, not just the 19 races that he won, but the three races that he didn't win, he finished on the podium in two of those and seventh in the other. So he had a 100% finish record. David, that could never have happened in your day and it never could have happened in my day. I mean, just absolutely phenomenal. And that says two things to me. One, the Red Bull, not alone is it the quickest car, is it the best car and clearly is the best team, but it's also the most reliable of the cars. And um, when you've got all of those things together, and I have some, some sort of pity for poor old Checo because he had the job of trying to keep up with this and, and he just wasn't able to do it. Yeah, look, I, I get it. I, I get the the reference, poor old Checo, uh, in as much that he he's a you know really nice guy. In fact, it's difficult to find not a nice guy of the racers in Formula One right now. To to be perfectly frank, they all they're all I think uh, you know a great generation of of drivers who who are pretty feet on the ground. But Max, in in lap time terms, the biggest gap between teammates was actually uh, between Alex Albon and Logan Sargent. It was about half a second on average. When you take out all of the the noise of penalties and you know incidents in qualifying, if you if you really try and focus on what we'd perceive as a 
relatively normal qualifying session. So the biggest gap was at Williams, half a second. The gap between Checo and Max on average was just over three tenths. The smallest gaps, actually, I think, were between George and Lewis. And it was about a tenth or so between Carlos and Charles. Uh, likewise, between Lando and Oscar. There was, uh, I'm trying to think who the other one, it's escaping my mind right now. You may be able to come up with the team where the other drivers were incredibly close across the season. Oh, the Alpines, they were separated by nothing if you look at the season as a whole. So Checo wasn't as far away from his teammate as some, but unfortunately for him, of course, when Max was winning and he's not finishing second, it really puts a very sort of difficult spotlight on him. He, he, he survived it. But he's definitely going to, in my opinion, have to do some serious work over the winter to to fully understand or accept the differences between himself and Max. Because beginning of the year, he was talking about world championship battles and he was kind of getting his shoulders and his chest out. And I suspect part of that was his management team who are not only there to see him try and win Grand Prix, but they're there to sell him commercially. So if if the message is this guy's a world champion in weight, then that, that helps the negotiations. I think now they probably need to take a slightly different view, which is he is the best partner to a max, a phenomenon. And, and then you could knuckle down in the way that your almost countryman Eddie Irvine did it with Schumacher or Gerhard Berger did with Ayrton Senna. Two examples of drivers who just accepted they weren't as quick as their teammates. And that allowed them actually to get some really good stability within the team and relax into doing some great performances and winning Grand Prix. Do, do you get where I'm coming from? Checo started the season so well. Um, you know, those couple of wins early on. And he probably was on a bit of a, a hype. Mentally, he probably felt so strong. And then he suddenly realised that when... Uh, when Max kicked into gear, so to speak, and he found his real mojo, uh, not that he ever really ever lost it throughout the season. Uh, I mean, he must be probably the most difficult teammate that you could ever hope or wish to have. Um, great for the team. Um, but, you know, there's been a lot of talk about Checo possibly being replaced. I personally don't see that. I think he's a contract and I have a good idea of what the people in Red Bull are pretty honourable people through and through. And um, I, I don't see, I don't think we should probably even discuss it unless you've got something to say. But I, I think nope. he'll be there next year. And um, and who would they take? You know, you mentioned uh, Alex Albon. You've mentioned Sardin. You mentioned different people. Um, I, I think you should just leave things as they are. Uh, they know what's going to happen in the team. There's no uncertainty. Um, they should finish first and second next year and walk away with the constructors. Max, can he win 20, 20 Grand Prix? Can he improve on where he was this year? My view is no, because when you don't have big rule changes and this coming year, uh, there's no big rule change. So the cars, concertina, they, like you and that accordion. David, please don't use that accordion again. It was shocking. I hated you doing that thing. Well, you have to explain to our listeners because not everyone... That, oh, yes, we have yeah. to... For you folk at home, I had to endure Steve Jones singing, which in itself was not an exactly pleasant situation. But well done, Steve. You were very brave to take that particular show on on, on Channel 4. It was brilliant. He wrote all the lyrics. I thought it was great. I've got it in my head. 
Thank you, F1. Thank you, F1. And actually, we should get him on the show here. But um, yeah. you standing around um, in a typical Red Bull kind of dress with your Austrian lederhosen <laughs> and all your, your hey, socks. Believe it or not. I, I did have a chuckle to myself. Where is his kilt, for heaven's sake? If you had the kilt, then I could have lived with it. The, the, actually, uh, the producers of that particular piece it thought that was traditional Dutch costume i agree dutch? i did look more austrian than oh, dutch but anyway. well, you were an austrian yodeler i was going to say uh, yeah they taught me to yodel yodel <laughs> no we leave Actually, that that's one not bad that wasn't <laughs> bad um right so maybe what we'll do we'll put a link up to to the uh closing um song that you're referencing we'll put that somehow uh onto maybe on their socials we'll, we'll so that people yeah, can I think it's worth enjoy that but those people out there have a quick peep uh, go back in time and see what DC looks like a, a, a Nicky Lauda, an Austrian, because that's what he looked like to me. Shall we move it on? Please. Shall we move it on? Because we've got a bunch of teams here to, to get it. So anyway, Red Bull exceptional. And uh, I agree. I think it's unlikely they can surpass that next year. But I would throw the question out there to you, EJ, that even though there's not big regulation change next year, surely Mercedes, Ferrari and, and, and the likes have spent most of the second half of the season going, look, we're not in this world championship battle. We've got to understand where our def deficiencies are and put all our efforts into next year. So surely they should be closer or maybe even able to, to beat where Red Bull are. No, no chance. David, simple. When you're building a car and you have somebody of the likes of Adrian Newey and his team, which full marks to them. I mean, phenomenal to achieve this kind of landmark because this probably may never be beat. We may look back and I may not be above ground at that stage, but in 20, 30 years time, David, you'll be looking back and say, you know, that 2023, that was just off the charts brilliant for what was achieved. So that's how great I think has this season has been for Max Verstappen and for Red Bull. So, for the last half of the year, and please remember that my cycling mate, he'll be here in the next day or two, is none other than Adrian Newey. And he told me he was just staying behind. He didn't do the race in Abu Dhabi because he had the last little pieces to put together of the puzzle for next year's Red Bull car. And without, you know what Adrian is like. You're a particularly close pal of his. He doesn't give too much away. But you know by the, the walk of him and the talk of him that he's pretty cool and pretty happy about where he is. Now, you balance that against somebody at Mercedes or Ferrari or Aston Martin for that matter. It doesn't matter who they've taken on. It takes while to get the team all gelled together to achieve or even come close to where Red Bull are. Now, I'm sure some teams will come close in terms of time, but Red Bull are going to move further on. So my view is that... Um, the last half of the season where everyone else was trying to do things against each other and, and the big battle that they had at Mercedes and indeed Ferrari, um, that was time for Red Bull at home uh, honing in their talents for next year's car. So they have had, in my opinion, five or six months lead time on that car for next year. I don't see anyone coming close to them. I hear you and I'll defer to your knowledge of what happens in the build process because despite the fact that I was you know, in Formula One for what, 18 years, I guess, by the time I did three years of testing, I, I didn't actually spend much time at the factory because, mm -hmm. you know, what are you going to do at the factory when you're at test tracks? But so let's let's come to the team that finished second in the constructors this year. And they were the all dominant team in the early phase of the hybrid year, Mercedes. Sometimes I get a little bit uncomfortable with this, what is 
how it's sort of built up in the media, the, the battle between Mercedes and, and Red Bull, or let's say more, I guess, between Toto and Christian. I was actually quite happy to see uh, Jerry Horner uh, snuggled up, cuddled up to Toto and Christian there and and uh, our great friend Anita Gerharder from uh, Wings for Life, um, all smiling and in a happy place. Because at the end of the day, it's competition, it's racing, but it, it's not warfare. And, you know, I don't know if you ever had somebody that you competed against that you, I, 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 I hate to use the word hate, but if that's a word you're comfortable using, that you were in that level of dislike, um, where do you sit in all that? Well, a lot of people at the Jordan stage, um, they thought there was a bit of a fiery relationship between Flavio and I. And I'd have to say of all the people that I'd like to go out and have a pint with afterwards or discuss, well, you know, when you're discussing with Flavio, it's usually, uh, well, it's a different kind of thing altogether. But um, he was such a cool guy. And there was times, I won't use the word hate, but I disliked him. I, dis, I, I hated the way he went about that team. But he was so successful for a guy who had little or no background, no DNA of his motor racing in, in his blood. And yet he was able to achieve that no one else has come into the sport and take on and be as successful as him. So if you like, I agree with you that it's very hard because we're in the sport and we've all got to get on together. I mean, there were times that I disliked Ron, but I think, you know, in many respects, Ron, uh, Ron was Dennis. my hero because of what he achieved. And, um, you know, McLaren have had a good season this year, but nowhere even close to what the level that, that Ron was able to get them to do. So I, I never had a problem with that. And I think sports people, and particularly Formula One, and that is that the ability they have of being able to segregate what is hard, hard competition and do anything to defeat your opposition on the track. When that race and the checkered flag comes down, yes, there's a little bit of cooling off, but everyone goes home in the same planes. They all have a chat together. They all talk about this, that. Just like what I enjoy, what you did at the Bellagio at the race after Vegas, the three drivers, they probably would have cut the heads off each other in the middle of the race, but they were all great mates at the end. So that's what I love about it. Sporting contests, that's great. Yeah, and a little bit of respect is, is always nice to see. Absolutely. So, right, um, Mercedes then. Um, Another season without victory for Lewis. George, I think, wrapped off what was a great season for him. Um, and he's well-established and well-compared in, in his pace alongside Lewis. Um, they were pretty much, well, they were equal uh, across the season in terms of out-qualifying each other. So we would expect a little bit more for them. Um, so maybe then moving on to Ferrari, the only team... But before you have... do that, where do you see their design team? I mean, because there was... Uh, it, was, it was such a, a mess at the beginning of the year, that side pod issue. They knew they took too long to change it, and yet they got it together after that. But, you know, you have to think, what has happened to their design team? Uh, well, inevitably, there's there's changes over time, and it, people move on because they, they either get tired or they move on because they get headhunted, uh, as we saw with uh, Aston Martin. You know, one of the the senior aerodynamicists from Red Bull joined their team, and and that seems to have given them a little bit of stimulus. Uh, and there's a core group of people there that are still ex Jordan guys, actually, who've sure. consistently delivered uh, a, a good race car. So. I don't know enough about the structure of the Mercedes design team, but I have to believe that they have they have enough 
experience of Formula One and enough brain power that they will be better next year. And I think that can only be good for Formula One uh, and the overall battles that we see on track. Ferrari, um, only team to have beaten Red Bull this year, Carlos Sainz in Singapore, drove you know, strategically, drove brilliantly. I feel for Charles Leclerc because brilliantly fast, uh, great guy, didn't manage to get a victory this year. Could have been in Vegas, but in the end, safety car didn't work out and Max was brilliant in his comeback. I think Fred Vasseur has really established himself well as a, a racing principal uh, and uh, seems to be handling the pressure of, of Ferrari politics. So I, I really believe that they will be stronger next year. Uh, w- what's your, your view on, on Ferrari? I concur with uh, Charles. Um, I thought he... He stood up to the plate the last couple of races and the starting position, the way he raced. Um, he in his head, he's, he's a very clever guy. Uh, we see quite a bit of him and he's astute in terms of what, what's achievable and what's not achievable. And 17 seconds down the road was um, whatever the figure was on each of the races that Max has got. That's a lot of time to have to claw back against somebody like Max Verstappen. And then you've got to pass him. So well done to Charles, the last two two races. What I'm confused, since Singapore and the victory um, for for Sainz, um, it hasn't gone well for him. But I think massive injustice was done to him in Vegas. Massive. For the manhole cover to cut the car effectively in half, to penalise him 10 slots was absolutely, completely wrong. It was no fault of his. And who's to say? The three points, which was worth $10 million, not that it's a huge amount to, to Ferrari, but it's a huge amount, nevertheless, to everybody. But that's what they lost by not being able to beat Mercedes. And I feel that it was uh, absolutely wrong. And I saw some of the team principles, which I didn't like. Um, when it went to the Stuarts to see, could they get a force majeure, uh, that this was clearly not his fault. Um, some of the teams, including Mercedes, um, didn't want that protest to be accepted. Um, that was one of the niggly little things that I didn't like about Vegas. Um, but full marks to Ferrari. I think Fred is right. We, we were concerned about Fred at the beginning because of some real horror stories there with tyres not being in the right place and for the wrong car and stuff like that. And, and, and Fred has calmed all that down. Everybody now knows their role. So I do feel that Ferrari will make a big show next year. Yeah. Yeah, I do, I do think that, um, you know, from a steward's point of view in Vegas, they, they only can apply what is written in the rule book. But what is absolutely clear if you do have a situation like that beyond team and driver control, then those sorts of freak events should be, there should be something there to allow, let's say, sporting common sense to play its part and not have a penalty on top of a penalty. But uh, anyway, common sense getting in the way of rules. When you mentioned the word common sense, it's not very common. That's the problem. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, right, will good you point. you remember that, David? I will indeed, I will indeed. Um, right, McLaren, hey, what a great season, I think. Um, they looked a bit shaky in Bahrain, uh, both both cars, I think, outside uh, the top 15 in qualifying. But great comeback, uh, great to see Oscar show his potential him. alongside Lando. Lando continues to be a breath of fresh air, really owns 
his his good performances in a modest way and probably a bit hard on himself when things aren't going so well. But it, it, great to see someone who's so open and so honest. And McLaren have just, I think, been one of the, the breaths of fresh air this season. Uh, beyond any doubt. And, you know, again, there's a team that I was tough against. I, some of the things that they did in the past, I, I was critical about and um, I, I made my, my opinion clear. Um, similarly, I will make my opinion clear about uh, the season that, that they've just had. And that was exactly it, that the breath of fresh air, exactly right. Uh, Oscar, for me, was sensational. For a rookie like that to come in and do what he did against somebody with the outstanding talent of Lando Norris, uh, and we all know about how quick he is, um, the car has to be very nicely balanced. And they, in my opinion, will be a big surprise next year to most people because I think now I'd be surprised if Oscar doesn't push on. I can imagine uh, Anne and Mark Webber, their management team, pushing hard and making sure that he's doing all the right things because that's a very sensible, clever head on those people. And um, so I see that. Um, with Lando's father, who's a massive supporter but doesn't get over-involved, I just feel there's a nice gelling of really, you'd be... David, you're a father, I'm a father. Either of those two boys, you'd be over the moon to have those kids as your, as your son. And uh, they're that good people. And um, they're quality people both in the car and outside the car. I can only wish them well. Yeah, well, nice words, EJ. Uh, without going through every single team, I think that uh, we, should, we should highlight the brilliant surprise of uh, Ural team, uh, now named Aston Martin, uh, serious amounts of investment there under Lauren Stroll's vision. They've moved into a new factory, which is never easy to do uh, during a season. Uh, Fernando, brilliant breath of fresh air. It does put a little bit of a spotlight on Lance. He, he I think, drove brilliantly in uh, Bahrain, having recovered or still recovering from broken bones in his feet and his wrists. And there, then thereafter, I think he did a solid job, but you've, you've got to say that there were not the same level of highlight performances, although he did finish the season, I think, relatively strong. Um, there weren't the same highlights as Fernando. So, it's very unusual, isn't it, to witness a driver of his age performing at that level. And that team has definitely taken a step forward. It is a pity. It's a very, very difficult job. I remember having a, 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 one of the few rocks that I've had. I remember Lauren Stroll coming to me to say, um, why did you say uh, on a, I was working with you and Mark at the time, Channel 4, I think I said, would Lance Stroll get a drive without his father's help or influence? And he, he wasn't happy about that. Um, I'll now come back to that and I'll say that I think he does warrant and justify his position in Formula One. But he is never going to be a number one driver from what I can see at the moment. And that's indicated by, you know, you, you mentioned Alonso. I still believe he... He does something for me. The first time I saw him, what was that, 20 years ago, passing the great Michael Schumacher, it was unbelievable. He did something similar on the outside of the track at the start of the race this year. And then to do what he did in Brazil, I mean, such a fight with Checo. I thought, oh my God, this can't be real. Is this Formula One as I see it in 2023? That's what people want to see, the fight back. I mean, you have to believe where the energies he's able to 
pull out of his body at the last moment at his age, um, you'd have to give him full credit. And that alone, I think, was important that Aston Martin do push on. At the end of the day, let's be realistic about it. They had a real good crack at it when other teams were floundering at the beginning of the year, so they gathered up some points. But I think they finished poorly um, by their own standards. And for them to have... Uh, being behind McLaren and finishing fifth in the championship, they have to they have to think about moving up a bit. They should be aiming for the top three next year without any question. Okay, so uh, let's just then out of the remaining teams that are there, any of them really you take note that that impressed you, even though they weren't maybe getting headlines of podiums, or anyone that you were a bit disappointed in. Running through a couple, I think you mentioned about Alpine. I thought two good drivers. Um, I have a I have a sweet spot for Gasly. I think he he tries really hard, and sometimes he's a little bit unlucky. Uh, Ocon, who we saw when he was uh, Force India, so you know the Jordan Force India, the Aston Martin. I've had a lot of good experiences with him. Um, nevertheless, do I see them making much improvement next year? Really, truthfully, no. I think the engine is not good enough and um, two great drivers, but, you know, they're stuck in, stuck in there and they bet just make the best of it. And after that, you know, there have been... Sonoda was great. I loved what he did at the weekend and uh, full marks to him. It's a long time since we've been uh, a Japanese driver like him come through. Um, so uh, from uh, my point of view, um, I, I wish him well. Super race. Is that how you saw it? Because I, I, I thought, am I really seeing things? Can he do this? And he led a race. Good Lord, fantastic. <laughs> no, I think it was nice. And I think for Franz Toast, who stood down as team principal, uh, it was it was probably a nice little adrenaline rush for him. But in the same way as the expression, one, so- uh, one swallow doesn't make a summer. Um, you know, all of these guys have got to be performing. I know you can only drive the car you've got, but the consistency of performance has got to be there. But yeah, he's definitely stood up uh, very well alongside Daniel Ricciardo, who we know is a Grand Prix winner. So yeah, that, that's reassuring and good for uh, Japan uh, and for the Japanese fans. Um, Can I interrupt a second, David? I just want something to say. I think you say. just did. Because uh, <laughs> one of the recent interviews with Max was, and I thought to myself, well done, Max. You have good recollection and you don't lose friends as you go through the, the ladder of success. Uh, and you mentioned him there, Franz Tost. I, I spent three or four years with him when he personally was the manager of Ralph Schumacher. And in terms of quality of people, knowing when to speak, when not to speak, how to help, he was just the most amazing guy. And I wish, Franz, if you happen to be listening to our podcast, please do, because I think you are one of the most amazing guys I've ever worked with in all of that time. So honest, so correct, and, and, and so so positive for the team and his driver. Well, the EJ endorsement doesn't come very often, Not so very I hope often. he's listening. I hope he's listening. Um, you might be waiting right. a long time for one of those. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've, honestly, I, I gave up a long time ago waiting, <laughs> waiting on a compliment from you. But... We'll take a, wee, a brief moment here um, to look at some questions that have been uh, sent in from our listeners. And uh, for both of us, uh, it, it's still on, the, of course, on the subject of Formula One. And it's which driver has underdelivered delivered uh, based on the package uh, this year. And I think the obvious one, as I mentioned right at the top in comparison in lap time has to be Logan Sargent, you know, half second away from Albon, 
And I feel for Logan because I, I genuinely would like all these guys to have success because it's a privilege to be uh, a professional sports person. But it just doesn't seem to have gelled. And, and for some drivers who have success in the lower formulas, Formula One is just a different animal. And it just... The consistency of performance, even though he had great qualifying in in Vegas, and um, you, you know, there's been some other like I think it was uh, Zamvort, he did a, a really good job, but there's just been too many sort of missed opportunities. And I'd be curious to know, EJ, whether if he was in your team, and it was no financial benefit in keeping him or nationality benefit, would he make year two? And with the hope that suddenly he's going to discover some pace and the penny's going to drop. How, how do you see that? First of all, uh, talent is something that you have and you can't buy it. Uh, would he drive the car if he had no money? Absolutely not. Uh, would he drive the car if he had a whole heap of money? I'm not even sure he would because, you know, if I look back and you had sort of the Yarno Trulis, the Ralph Schumachers and the Eddie Irvines and the Barrichellos and stuff like that, whilst people might think that we went for money primarily, there was a, there was a fine line. It was, yes, we need somebody to help pay the bills, but it's not absolutely imperative, uh, Eddie Irvine's case in, in point. But then there was other things that he brought in terms of other sponsors that helped to come as a result. So... Sergeant would not be in my team. If I was a team that, you know, I don't, very seldom, we, we didn't finish outside the top five that often. And, and you know, we got to, to number three. Um, so to do that, David, you need really high quality drivers who know, and you can't rely on just one. Um, I mean, of course, there were times that we did rely on one, but generally speaking, I think a very strong teammate is exactly what you want. And I, I just would like to say, with the same analogy, if Checo was quicker, I think we would have seen even a quicker Max. That's the thing, because I don't think he pushed himself. You know, when Lewis is talking about 17 seconds down the road, that's 17 seconds down the road without even having to be pushed. That's a good point. So now let's put it in the right context, because it's one thing, you know, out there in the front, you're minding your tires. You don't necessarily, as you have always said, you win the race in the slowest possible time. And... Um, so, yeah, the answer, Sergeant, I'm afraid, wouldn't be in my team. Okay. I should just uh, reference that that first question that came in from somebody who calls themselves Easy Pirates. So uh, not quite sure oh. what, to know of, uh, what to make of that name. Uh, moving on to a more traditional name, Hamish Golding is asking the question, are there too many races in Formula One? And if so, which one would you remove and why? Well, I only did 17 of the races and that felt about right for me given other responsibilities I have in my my life. Um, not all of them are what we'd call classic races, but they're all there on the calendar because they represent value to the business of Formula One. Which one would you say is, is sort of the least valuable to Formula One? And therefore, if you were cutting back on races, uh, which one would you drop? Because 20, is it 24 races next year? Where are we going? You've rightly said that we've got three races in America, Miami, Austin, and now Vegas. And I have a feeling where Formula One and Liberty want to bring us. And the traditional races that I love and adore, um, the likes of Spa, uh, the likes of Hungary, the likes of 
Well, Zandvoort is just recently on the calendar and I'm quite certain it's there because of Max. If Max wasn't in racing, would we be in Zandvoort? And the answer would be no. Um, however, would we be in Austria if it wasn't for Red Bull? And the answer is probably no. So I'm one of the old stalwarts who would actually say, come on, guys, whatever you want to lose, you must not lose the traditional, you know, the Monza, the Silvers and the Spas, um, Monaco. Those races are so vital. Um, we've got a whole heap of races in the Middle East. Um, let us not forget the Far East, because remember when we needed support, it was Japan who gave it to us. And we know the kind of welcome we've always had in Australia. So China has been a difficult one because it's been on and off. Um, 24 races it is. I think 17 is about the right number. I remember uh, in my day, 16 races. I mean, it was daunting. And they still haven't got into this rotation yet. But that's going to have to happen because you'll just grind any goodwill that you have out of the mechanics and families and children and schooling and God knows what. It, there is a life other than sport. And that is making a family and creating the best you can for that family and not being home. I know Maria's always said, how does our wedding, or how does our marriage lasted so long? And she always says, well, because he was always away a lot so much. So uh, <laughs> there you go. Um, what must it be like with 24 races? It must be catastrophic. Well, the business of Formula One is, uh, is definitely in a growth spot right now. So I think what will happen inevitably is that after this momentum that's there, it starts to calm down, which uh, history would suggest will be the case. Then we will fall into who are the real fans, who are who are the ones that are going to stay the distance, and what are the race circuits that can justify being part of the calendar. So we'll watch that evolve over the coming years. Um, young drivers. Now, I was asked at the weekend who uh, I felt from Formula 2 deserved to crack at Formula 1, and I, I had to be honest and say I hadn't really followed closely or closely enough uh, Formula 2 to to really have a, a strong view on it. Um, I, I keep a keen eye on Jack Doohan because sure. our friend Mick Doohan, um, someone that I used to train with, you know, a, a great champion in motorcycles, and his son Jack won at the weekend. He's part of the Alpine uh, Academy and uh, as the test and reserve driver. I know he's fit enough. The guy, the guy's an animal. Um, so, you know, in the sort of Schumacher term, uh, sense of, of being fit. Um, and it'd be great to see him getting a crack. But they're just, it's the bottleneck, isn't it? There just isn't enough opportunities for these young guys. Is there any other names that you've come below your, your nostrils? Well, obviously, yeah, um, with, with regard to Jack, there was a part in the season that he probably didn't do himself mid-season. Um, he, he, he didn't put himself on the top of everybody's wish list. And yes, he's come good at the end. And hopefully, fingers crossed, that might be enough. But then you ask yourself, where can he go to? And what I would like to see, he's part of the Alpine. But, you know, two French drivers in a French team with a French engine Come on, are they going to sack one of the drivers to put in an Aussie, Aria, English, Monegasque, Aussie, whatever Jack is these days? But Australian. Uh, <laughs> well, is he? Okay, hopefully. And, and I think actually the family would claim Irish heritage before English, just to give you a little boost. Well, well they do, but I don't... They haven't, <laughs> Mick keeps telling me that, but that's only because he wants me to buy him pints. But that's another story. <laughs> um, you know, great people. You couldn't meet nicer people than the Dunes, that's for sure. Um, do I see a way in 
to Alpine for him, it'll be a big ask because I think both of those drivers in Alpine did enough to stay in there. If anything, it was the car that let them out. And some management. I, I, I think, you know, getting rid of people mid-season is never a very clever thing and how teams are expected to bounce back from that. Um, you know, no, I, I, I just, I, I worry. You say Logan Sar- Sargent, but, you know, um, the flag has been... Uh, the Dewan flag is, is well and truly uh, up with Alpine, and I think he has to probably stay there. Yeah. Okay, well, I should just uh, reference the fact that question came in from Matt Cox. We, we've had a lot of questions, actually, which uh, just looking at the time uh, we've already been talking, we're probably not going to get through them all. But um, j- just to reference uh, a Gregory Ferrari and a Michael Collins, uh, both giving their view that they would love to see, in Gregory's case, Eddie Irvine on the show. And I'm sure you can organise that more easily than I can, uh, EJ. And they would also, Michael Collins would like to see Mark Webber on the show. And uh, absolutely, Mark and Anne uh, have both uh, said that they would be willing to to be part of the podcast. So uh, we just need to schedule that. They've headed down under for the winter. So um, a bit like you being in South Africa, we're going to have to work with some time zones. Talking about Irish people, you can't leave out... The great Paul Tracy. Um, Paul Tracy, I think he won the Indy Championship, didn't he? And uh, uh, he, he, Is he Irish? Of course he's Irish. You have a word of his father Canadian. is he Irish. He has, a very, <laughs> he has a very strong American accent, but of course he's Irish. Yes, of course. We claim anybody that has anything about them. So uh, we'd claim you, David, if we were able to, but we can't, I'm sadly enough. If I was just a wee bit more interesting or successful, you'd claim me as Irish. If you got more money, you definitely would have been Irish. <laughs> Oh, well, EJ, you definitely took the lion's share of that. So I think at this point, well, before you start going all tiger on me, I think we've got to wrap this particular podcast up, this particular review of what was an incredible Grand Prix season. So EJ, thank you very much for your time. And of course, to our listeners, thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week. And remember to follow Formula for Success on Spotify and whenever you listen to the podcast. And you can find us on social media with the handle at F1 for Success. So from me, David Coulthard, until next time, goodbye. And that's the Mad Irishman. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.